turn with me over to the book of Matthew. And tonight we're going to review the story of the Magi. Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. The title of the, of the message is The Journey of Worship. The Journey of Worship. Matthew 2, 1 through 11. It says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod, verse 3, the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And gathering the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. And they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for this is what was written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah, for out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Verse 7. Then Herod secretly called the Magi and determined from them the exact time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go search carefully for the child, and when you have found him, report to me, so that I too may come and worship him. Verse 9. After hearing the king, they went on their way. And the star which they had seen in the east went on before them until it came and stood over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Verse 11. And after coming into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother. And they fell to the ground and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they presented to him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Lord, help us as we study, please. Three things on this passage about which I'd like to speak to you. One, the journey to worship. Two, when they get there, they genuflect with reverence. And three, they bring gems to offer. These magi were interesting. We don't know a whole lot about them, but we do know that they probably hailed from Babylon or Persia. We know that the journey they had was one that was arduous. One right around the corner, somewhere between 800 and 1,000 miles they went in order to find the Christ child. We believe that they got a clue about the direction in which to go from the scriptures that had been left there by the Israelites during their captivity. So let me give you a little bit of a history lesson. The Israelites were taken, the southern tribe, Judah, captive by Babylon in 576 B.C. Babylon had come in under the, the king Nebuchadnezzar's reign, destroyed Jerusalem, destroyed the temple, and taken those who he believed could be a prophet to his community back with him to Babylon. There were very few people left there in Jerusalem. While in Jerusalem, these people had to figure out how to develop their own new form of worship because everything around which God had patterned their worship centered with, with the temple. So worship and sacrifice and, and offerings were all to be given at the place that God designated, which was the temple, yet it was destroyed, and they weren't even close. So they developed these things called synagogues, which we then see in the New Testament, and that became kind of the pattern upon which even the church would, would understand how to develop an order of service, that somebody would read scriptures, others would be there in the assembly to hear and listen, and then there would be a congregational moment where fellowship would happen, education would happen, people would connect with people 
who had great insight into scripture. There would be some degree of discipleship there. Young people who really had a desire to learn more would follow other rabbis. This became the new norm of how to do a service of worship. The synagogues had the scriptures in them, obviously. Well, some hundred years or so later, people had gone back to Jerusalem because the exiles went back and they began to rebuild the city and establish the old form of worship. Yet, the synagogues were still in place. The synagogues had these scriptures in them, and we believe that these magi determined from these scriptures as they began to search, what in the world does this star mean? These magi found a passage of scripture in the Old Testament that allowed them to know exactly what the star meant. Now the magi, even though we don't know a whole lot, we understand them to be quasi-rulers, probably magistrates from a ruler, maybe emissaries, ambassadors. But they also had this wise counsel thing going on, much like what we see Daniel displaying with his compatriots that were not Jewish, but they were still under the same authority and at the same peer level as he of the king. And so it's important for us to look at that and say, well, who were these people and what kind of influence did Daniel have with these men? These men were pretty envious of Daniel's influence because every king liked him better than he liked his own people. Because Daniel served God and heard God differently and, and was able to give accurate information to all of the rulers that he served while these others hit and miss. But we do know that they were astrologers, that they looked at the sky to try to determine what tomorrow might be. And they practiced the, the, the magic arts. Um, they were interesting human beings that had some degree of power. They're looking up at the star one day and they see these, looking up the sky one day and they see this new star. And they're, they're thinking, how does a new star just appear? Now, I've looked at what history might say that star may have been in, in astronomy, which is different than astrology. Astrology is trying to determine how the stars will direct your life and indeed to some degree worshiping them. Astronomy is just the science of the planets and the universe. And astronomy has said, well, maybe it was a, a, a real uh, compilation of Venus, Mars, and Jupiter lining up in such a way that the brightness of all three of them made a much brighter star. Or a comet that seemed to circle at a certain time period around the Earth appeared at that time. Mm, no. <laughs> Primarily because later we understand the star to be that which actually appears over a house. Now, the lights that we see in the sky, some of them are stars, other than them, others of them are planets, and others are galaxies. We only see them as dots in the sky. But some of them are 10 million miles away, some of them are 20 billion miles away. It's pretty significant. And generally speaking, none of them define an address on the planet. All of us, if you happen to be in the hemisphere, you might see one, but it doesn't say, this is home. You're, this is it. It hits an entire continent. So it can't be something that just naturally occurred. But whatever it was, these men knew this was different. Everybody was functioning, for the most part in the world, under monarchies. Democracy had not become the vogue thing yet. And so kings were all over the place, and all of them deserved respect. But none of them, as good as they might have been, and as important as they were, were ever announced by a star. 
As they began to research and find out what the star meant, we believe that they began to look, as they couldn't find anything in their own literature, began to look at these books that were left by the Hebrews. And sure enough, there is one passage in the Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, the five books, first five books of the Old Testament. One passage in the book of Numbers, chapter 24, verse 17, where a man named Balaam is prophesying. He's been hired by a foreign king to try to curse the Israelites, but God won't let him curse them. Every time he opens his mouth, he tries to curse them, and all that comes out is blessing. And so in this midst of him trying to curse, he blesses him and says, I don't know about it now, and it's, it's not near, but a star will rise in Jacob, and a scepter will come from Israel. And we think that the Magi probably read that and said, a star. This is nothing but the king of the Jews. Problem is, they're a good 800 to 1,000 miles away. Okay, no king has ever been announced by a star, but I don't know if we can miss this one. Mount up, gentlemen, mount up. From here to St. Louis, they travel. Long way. And that not obviously with cars, no trains, no planes, camel. Now, I don't know if you've ever ridden one. They do not define comfort in travel. <laughs> you can go to the zoo sometimes and get on one. And you just ride it as one of these. <laughs> Camels are interesting. They step with their, their right feet front and back at the same time, and then left feet front and back at the same time. Most animals do it the other way. Right hoof, left back hoof. And so when, they, when camels go, it is much more of this than a horse. Try doing this for a thousand miles. You have to be committed to this thing. It must really inspire you. Not to mention the fact the cost that it would take for them to, to make that journey. Because these, these weren't just three guys that got on some camels and said, let's ride. They were rulers. And they, they, were, they believed they were going to see a king of renown. So you've got to come correct when you come to see a king. When you, um, when you go to somebody's house that you haven't been to, they've invited you to dinner, isn't it fairly customary for you to bring something now I'm not talking about folks you see every week but somebody new you bring flowers bring a bottle of wine you bring something to say hello thank you what what do you what do you bring a king who's been announced by a star we'll get to that in a minute but they had to also not just think about what they were bringing but think about okay we have to come with some degree of dignity I can't just show up in my jeans and say, I'm here. We have to come as if we are being sent by our kingdom. And indeed, 800 to 1,000 mile journey would take anywhere from three to six months, which meant they needed a mobile pantry and then people who could service that, probably animals that they would kill along the way in order to eat. They would need a cleaning service to follow them. They would need everything that meant home, but now on the road. There could be upwards of 200 people that would be with these 
magi. A huge caravan of folk. Maybe 20 or 30 camels carrying the things that were necessary in order to provide for all the people who were going to accompany them. We don't know how many of them there were. Our tradition says three, and that's primarily because they brought gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And tradition has ascribed one of these elements each to one king. The Bible doesn't say. But we know that they came with a lot of stuff and that representing their kingdom. And we know that they were rulers of some renown because when they wind up at Jerusalem, they get an audience with the king. If I go and knock on the White House, nobody's going to answer the door for me. I don't care how many stars I've said I've seen. In order to get to a king, you've got to be sent generally by a king. You've got to be an emissary of a different ruler. You have to have some bearing that allows you the privilege of saying, I need an audience with you, and this is right. So we know these men weren't just inquisitive human beings. They were somebody. But the star was beckoning them. Even though it's expensive, even though it's inconvenient, never in history has anyone, anyone's birth been announced by a star. We have to. Doesn't this kind of put into perspective the journey that they would take for somebody that they don't know anything about except he's been announced by a star? Doesn't it put in perspective the difficulty you have of getting up every morning on Sunday morning and coming to church? I'm just saying. You have to sit there when that alarm goes off thinking this is the one day I got at home all by myself. I don't have to do the grass. I ain't got to do nothing. I just want to sleep right now. But you know God is beckoning you to go to church and you have to struggle through. I pray the Lord gives you the insight to live in the shoes of the Magi every Sunday morning. <laughs> they journey because of one insight and in how... Much do we know that they did not. When we know that Jesus came and died for our sin, he's forgiven us of all we've done wrong. He's released us from all the consequences of our wrongdoing. I mean, my goodness, it would be enough if he did did that. I'd be blessed, but then he, he allowed me the privilege of taking on the Father's name and being called his son and, and being identified by him. Not just a servant. I'd be happy if I was just forgiven and given responsibility to obey him. But he's given me an inheritance. And we consider it inconvenient and too difficult to worship him. These men knew nothing except that a star had appeared. And they took a long journey. I don't know how long you've had to travel to get to Washington, D.C. to be with your loved ones. But it's more than just about being with them. You're traveling to hear a little black man with a bow tie talk to you about Jesus tonight. (laughs) I know it may not have been what you thought, and some of you may be very disappointed. I understand it. I'm disappointed with me more than you are. I get it. But please, don't take whatever is not here. Take whatever is. Don't let what you don't think should be be the determiner of what you might miss. Your journey should wind up in the presence of God even as these magi found themselves in the place of coming to the house. It says first that the star which they saw in the east disappeared. Now it doesn't mean that the star was in the east because they were coming west. So they were directed west 
to come because they realized it was Jerusalem. But it meant the star that they saw while they were in the east. And as they come, the star disappears. And so they have to use their noggin and say, well, okay, we're in Israel, but we don't know where to go. But probably a king would be born in the capital city. We'll go to Jerusalem. And so they wind up at Jerusalem. Now, why do, you th- why do you think God allowed the star to disappear? And this is a sad note right here. If the Magi had gone directly to Bethlehem, Jerusalem would not have known that they had a Messiah. When the Magi show up and they have an audience with Herod and all of the chief priests and the scribes who are in charge of all religious literature and education, they, meaning the Magi, tell them We are here to worship the king of the Jews. Where is he? And they say, huh? Huh? What what king? Herod's probably saying, I ain't had a baby yet. What are you talking about? They don't know. It, It is a great affront that a foreign people had to come and tell Israel of the birth of its own savior. So God mercifully says, you all didn't get it. They got it. You didn't. But I'm going to be kind, and I'm going to let them let you know your Savior is here. Otherwise, they wouldn't have known. Herod says, well, we've determined that the baby is supposed to be born in in Bethlehem. So why don't you go, you find him, worship him, and then then you come back and tell me because I want to worship him too. Now Herod had some ulterior motives. He didn't want to worship. He wanted to destroy him because Jesus was a competitor to the throne. And the Magi begin to go to Bethlehem. And as soon as they start going to Bethlehem, the star reappears. And the star is moving now. This is why it is not Jupiter, Venus, and Mars converging. Because the star is moving. And it is moving with them. And it finds itself right over the house of where Mary and Joseph are with baby Jesus. <laughs> now imagine for the Magi, they're, they're happy that the star reappeared. It says they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. So it means they were out of their mind that the Lord has allowed them, to, the heavens, as far as they know, have allowed them to now refine that which they came to search for. Great, they're so happy they don't know what to do. But they're looking for what everybody would be looking for when a king is born in the earth that is announced by a star. A huge palace. Something that is grandiose, that that would be commensurate with a king that has been announced by the heavens. And so they're they're coming to the the outskirts of Bethlehem and I'm sure they see the star, they're looking for a palace, but they they round corners and they, they don't see a palace. And I imagine, you know, they're going through neighborhoods and they're thinking, hmm. This don't, this don't feel right. Now, what we know about Mary and Joseph is that the baby Jesus had wrecked their life. Wrecked their life. Mary had lost all of her reputation. Everybody thought she did something she shouldn't have done in order to get pregnant. Joseph married a woman who everybody thought was a woman of ill repute. So he lost his reputation in Nazareth. Secondly, Joseph had this probably very good business in Nazareth. He had to save up enough money in order to pay a bride price, which could be on, on the order of two to $300,000 in our money to get a woman of standing like Mary was. That's a lot of money. We see that jo- Jacob in the Old Testament had to pay a lot of money in order to get his wife, Rachel. 
he was fleeing his brother, went up to Laban, who was his uncle. Said, listen, I'm here because I I can't go back home. My brother's thinking about killing me. This is the Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Jacob. My brother's thinking about killing me, so I need to hang out here until he's no longer happy about thoughts of flaying me. And so Laban says, fine. Jacob sees Laban's daughter, Rachel. She's gorgeous. Out of this world, gorgeous. Jacob says, I want her to be my wife. I don't have any money because I had to get out of Dodge in a hurry. But what I do have is my labor, my hands, my back. I'll give you seven years of of, of work for her. Now, whatever you make, multiply that by seven, and that's what it costs for him to marry this girl. That's a bride price. I don't know how much it cost Joseph, but it wasn't a ring at Walmart. (laughs) Paid a lot of money. So all of his savings were gone. And now Caesar has commanded him to leave his town of of employment and go to the town of his registry and he's got a pregnant wife which means he can't return until she has a baby and and they're not going to be able to return for a long time so he's thinking I'm losing my business I got to establish something in Bethlehem and he probably doesn't have a whole lot of friends in Bethlehem because hear me everybody who was supposed to register in Bethlehem needed to register in Bethlehem which meant not only was it Joseph but all of Joseph's family brothers cousins, uncles, aunts, grandparents. Everybody had to go back to register there. And there may have been some people who were his relatives that actually lived there. Isn't it strange that Joseph had to go to the inn to try to find a place to to stay? You should have been able to go to somebody's house. Somebody's house. Cynthia and I, my wife, were in in, uh, Jerusalem. Took a trip to Israel in February and we went to Bethlehem. And we had a tour guide. And the tour guide said this, they said, what we believe is, is, is that the reason they had to go to the inn is because all of their relatives would not take Joseph and Mary in because Joseph chose to marry Mary. And so they were forced to go to the Holiday Inn, which had no vacancy. He had no friends. He lost his job in the north. He was trying to establish a new business there in Bethlehem. Mary had no reputation. This little baby Jesus wrecked their lives. And may I say that that's what Jesus comes to do first for you. Merry Christmas. (laughs) Why? Because your version of life is one of two things and might, might be both. Either too small or all wrong. God has a much different plan for you. And I know you want him to co-sign on that which you believe is most important to your progress. But if he does that, he co-signs for your failure. Because you won't fulfill his purpose even though you might get what you want here. And so he comes to wreck that which you have created because you're really happy about your shack. You like living in your shack because it's better than most people's shacks. It's the only shack you know. But God has a palace. He's got an idea about life for you that is amazing. And he doesn't want you to settle for that which is so small in your own eyes. He wants to give you bigger and better. The purpose for which he's put you on the planet. Jesus wrecked their lives. And I imagine Joseph was thinking, I know the angel told me to take this woman, but this this is so hard. For two years I have been working my fingers to the bone trying to make a living for this child. I'm not doing a good job here. How can this work? 
And not only did he have an occupation upset, we know that when, when they had to, to dedicate the child in Luke chapter 2 in the temple, 33 days you needed to bring the baby to dedicate him in the temple. And, and you were required to bring a lamb, but if you couldn't afford a lamb, you were to bring two turtle doves, which amounted to about 15 cents each. And a lamb was fairly expensive. And it says that Mary and Joseph brought two turtle doves, which meant they didn't have any money. So they don't have any money after the baby's born. He's already paid all that money to try to marry her. They've had to move all the way to Bethlehem. He doesn't have any work that's really supplying for the family. You know where they're living? Not a palace. They're in Section 8 housing. They're in the hood. These magi are looking for a palace. The star has to announce a king that's, that the earth must say amen to, so there's got to be a palace. And the star keeps moving, and they're going through this neighborhood thinking, boys, keep your eyes open. Keep your eyes open, boys. You know, I'm just saying, keep your eyes open now. And the star lands over this house, and they're looking at the house, they're looking at the star. Well, Beth shouts out, knock on the door. Go ahead, knock on the door. Really? You think? Knock on the star, the star, the star. <laughs> Joseph opens it. He sees these men in royal garb. He's saying, hello? They say, um, <laughs> y'all got a baby in there? <laughs> come, come here, come here, Joseph, come here. Look up. There's a star over your house. There's a star. Joseph, oh. Oh, that's pretty neat. Why? Oh, you fought, you can Yeah, um, let me tell you a story. It says they come in and they find baby Jesus. Now, baby Jesus is not baby Jesus anymore. He's toddler Jesus. We know that he's about two years old because... Herod asked when the star first appeared. And the people came back to him and said, about two years ago. We know that because he said, I want, when you go to, to Bethlehem now, kill every child, male child, two years old and younger. So we know that Jesus was a toddler, which kind of, my mind, just, I mean, I've seen baby Jesus in the manger. That's pretty cool. But running around in a diaper, that's just a different, different I got to change my brain a little bit to think about baby Jesus like that. When the Magi, it says, they, they walked in and they saw, they saw a toddler Jesus. It says they fell on their face. Jesus hadn't done anything for them yet. We rarely fall on our face and he's done so much for us. We have to be encouraged to fall on our face and he's done so much for us. We have to have really good sermons and some worship that takes us to another level for us to fall on our face because he's done so much for us. He had done nothing for them. He wasn't even a part of their ethnic makeup. He wasn't their king. But they bowed. I beg you, may your Christmas make your heart bow this week. It'll be much more merry. And on top of that, not only did they bow, genuflect, but it says they opened their treasures and they gave gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now, frankincense and myrrh were the two most 
um, expensive spices that you could, could find. One represented the priesthood, if we look in the scriptures, the other represented his death, his life that would be lived for us and ultimately given. And they were very expensive, very expensive. It, it's, it's kind of, kind of like uh, the difference. It, 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 any of you men ever bought perfume for your wives? No. Let's just hope tomorrow morning you, you fixed it by then. Perfume is much different than cologne. I didn't know that. At, at my first Valentine's when I got married, after I got married, I didn't know. I wanted to buy her some, some perfume. And um, I went to a store and... and the, the woman said, uh, I said, I like that one there. Smell, oh, this, oof, that's, that's going to really make me happy when she wears that. <laughs> I said, how much? She said, $242 an ounce. I said, do you, do you come in quarter ounces? <laughs> I just, <laughs> that's, that's what frankincense and myrrh were back then. $242 an ounce. And these people came with camel loads. And then you get to the gold. And I'll close with this. Solomon, one of the kings of Israel, the son of David, wisest man who has ever been other than Christ. And his, his wisdom spread throughout the entire earth. So much so that one woman who was the queen of the south, queen of Ethiopia, we believe, came, came north to Jerusalem because she had heard about this man's wisdom. And in coming, it says she, she brought with her because you always bring a gift to a king that is in line with his stature. She brought 100 talents of gold. Now, a talent didn't have anything to do with ability. It had everything to do with the unit of measure. One talent was 100 pounds of anything. So she brought 100, 100 pounds of gold. If we were to make that out in our money today, gold being about 1350 an ounce, $1,350 $1, $1, an ounce, it'd be about $10 billion dollars. She brought just to say hello to Solomon. Are you listening to me? Solomon wasn't announced by a star. What do you bring to a king who is? I don't know. But when it says gold, something on that order. So, Joseph opens the door, sees these guys, they bow down, and then they come with their stuff. Immediately, I imagine this is what happened. Joseph prays a prayer. I'm sorry. I'm glad he wrecked my life. I'm sorry, Lord. I'm glad he wrecked my life. I'm glad he wrecked my life. You live with God long enough, you will pray that prayer. He wrecked my life in the beginning, and I can't tell you how many days since then I've said thank you. I didn't know what I didn't know. I tried to hold on to stuff I shouldn't have. And I'm sorry I did. Thank you for taking it from me. Thank you for ripping it from my white knuckled hands and that's impossible for a black man to have. <laughs> Thank you. Because what you've given me is so much better. Let's pray. Daddy, I love you. Thank you for your goodness and grace. These wise men help us. They help us. 
Help us in our journey, Lord. Help us in our journey.